Our second scripture reading comes to us today from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 14 through 22. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1507, 1507. Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 22. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Thus ends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it discover what it truly means to follow Christ. A friend of mine who was once caught up in, the, in a prosperity gospel church he now struggles to believe in God. When I spoke with him about it, he said that, that God never really lived up to his end of the bargain. You see, the, the, the prosperity gospel teaches that if you have enough faith, that God will bless you with financial wealth and uh, physical health. But when that wealth and that, that health don't come, people tend to have one of two reactions. Either they will, they will get discouraged thinking that, it, that there is something that they have done wrong, or they will get bitter. Bitter at this God who makes these big promises, but doesn't live up to the hype. With my friend, it was a lack. Nothing ever seemed to work out for him, even though he was faithfully going to church, giving his money, and believing that God's blessings were, were coming his way. Finally, it was just too much. I mean, what's, what's the point in trying if, if God doesn't come through? Either he isn't real, or worse, he is real, and he doesn't care. In our scripture for today, we are continuing through the, the Gospel of Matthew, reading about the healing ministry of our Lord. Last week, we read about the leper, that man who was untouchable, and yet Jesus touched this man and made him clean, welcoming him back into the community. And then we saw that centurion, that, that Roman soldier who was stationed in Capernaum. This man had come to Jesus with a request. He had a servant that was paralyzed and in need of help. Jesus was willing to go to this man's house to heal his servant. But this centurion felt that he was undeserving. And yet, he trusted in Jesus that he had the authority to just speak a word of command, even from a distance, and it would be powerful and effective. 
Seeing such great faith, Jesus offered to this Gentile a seat at his table in the kingdom of heaven. While Jesus didn't come under the roof of the centurion, in our story for today, we see Jesus entering the house of Peter. Let's look at verse 14 to see what happened next. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. Again, we, we, we see a person in need of Jesus' healing power. Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. Now, a fever is a common ailment that, that each of us has experienced at one time or another. So, so you know that when a fever comes upon you, it's difficult to, to move about. You typically feel really cold and typically just want to go to bed and rest. Am I right? And most likely this, this woman was fast asleep when Jesus came to her. Well, let's see what Jesus did. Look at verse 15. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. What Matthew is trying to do here is he's trying to emphasize the immediacy of Jesus' healing power. This is why he throws in that, that little detail about the woman getting up and serving Jesus. This, this is the type of authority that Jesus has. He's, he's better than any medicine. I mean, pills, they, they take time to, to, to bring a fever down, don't they? But this woman, she gets up instantly and went about the business of being a good host. But it wasn't just Peter's mother-in-law that, that was in need of help, that needed Jesus' healing. Look at verse 16. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Seems like the whole town is at, of Capernaum is at Peter's door. And it wasn't just the sick, but, but now we see the demon-possessed. In our passage today, we, we not only see the immediacy of Christ's authority, but we also see his reach as well. Jesus is the master of both disease and demons, both the physical and the spiritual. He drove out each and every demon. This is the power of King Jesus. Even the demons must submit to his commands. What Jesus is doing here is he is demonstrating to the people who he is. He is that messianic king. The one who was prophesied in the Old Testament. This is why Matthew writes this in, in verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. This quote is from Isaiah 53, which, which uh, Maddie read to you earlier. It is, a, it is a passage that describes God's suffering servant. Now this section of scripture is well known to us because it clearly describes Jesus' death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. But before Jesus died and rose from the dead, most Jews did not consider this to be a messianic passage. 
I mean, how could this, this man be a king if he was treated so shamefully? And yet, Matthew will refer to this text over and over again as we continue to read his gospel. Here, he points to the fact that this suffering servant took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Jesus' healing ministry in and of itself is one of the functions of his substitutionary death. The cross is the way by which he destroys sickness and frees us from demonic control. You see, illness didn't enter the world until man sinned. And the only way to reverse sickness is to take care of the sin problem. Jesus will, will highlight this further when we get to chapter 9, but, but suffice it to say that the strength of Christ's authority over disease and the demonic is tied to the cross. So we see the suffering of, of one man that leads to the wellness of many. It takes a sacrifice to make someone whole again. Of course, the people had yet to understand that this Messiah had to suffer. And so they, they, they crowded him, seeking, seeking the benefits that came with this king. They were coming to him because of what he had to offer. And not necessarily because of who he is. And this leads Jesus to take action. Look at verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Now remember, they, are, they were in Capernaum, Jesus' home base. This is where Christ began his ministry and gained a loyal following. By all indications, he was at the top of his game. He had, he had the whole town and, and beyond eating out, of, eating out of the palm of his hands. But why were they there? Were they there for him? Or were they there because of what he could do? Did they like the king? Or did they like the food that was out on the king's table? Jesus doesn't care about fame. He doesn't care about having a big following. What, what he is concerned about is finding true disciples those who will follow after him, not because of what he can do for them, but because of who he is. And so it is fitting that, that, that we see these two characters, two people who have witnessed the miracles of Jesus and now desire to follow him. Let's look at the first in verses 19 and 20. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. One of the many reasons we see so many different kinds of churches today is because there are so many different kinds of people, each of whom are looking to fill a specific need in their life. And so you see, you see churches trying to fill that certain niche, fill that need in order to fill their seats. 
probably the, the fastest growing churches are what I call the show. It's, this is a kind of church that, that, that satisfies those who want to be entertained. They want the dim lights and the loud music and the, and the charismatic preacher with a lot of personality. They, 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 want, they want their church to look like what they see when they go to a rock concert or, or to a movie. They have come for the show. There's also what I, what I labeled the, the, the blessing church. This is the type of church that my friend used to go to, the one who is now struggling to believe in God. At this type of church, people want to receive and receive and receive some more. They, they, they want to hear promises of healing and riches and success in life. They, they, they want the, the, the fullness of God's kingdom ahead of schedule. They have come for the blessings. Then there is the, the comfortable church. This is where people go in order to feel at ease. To them, church is a place where they can socialize, enjoy some pleasant music, hear an agreeable message, all while enjoying the ambience. Afterwards, they can grab a refreshment and be on their way. They are looking for comfort. I could go on, but you, you get the picture. The, 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 the church in the West has become like Burger King. You can have it your way, right? But are people going for the right reasons? Why did you come to church today? Why are you here? What was the draw? Jesus puts forth the challenge to this teacher of the law who, who said he would follow him anywhere. He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. To be a true disciple of Christ does not mean having the good life. It entails hardship and suffering. It means sacrificing one's own desires for the sake of others. You see, Jesus was leaving Capernaum, the place where, that, that he had made a home for himself. And he was taking a road that was difficult. He was on a path that steered straight to the cross. All of these healings that, 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 that the people were drawn to, they had their purpose. They were, they were demonstrations of God's kingdom breaking through and bringing relief from the curse. But the source of their strength comes from the cross and the one who would be nailed upon it. And so a true disciple must be a person who looks to Jesus before he looks to the blessings. They must be willing to leave house and home and follow that same path as their master. Jesus was asking this teacher of the law to count the costs. Following him, being a true disciple, entails hardship. Was this man coming for the blessings, or were, or were his eyes focused on Jesus? How about you? Are you a true disciple? Or have you come to church for a reason other than Christ? 
Let's look at our final example, verse 21 and 22. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Where the where this first man was too quick to promise, the second man was, was too slow to commit. He had other obligations that took precedent. Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now this seems like a, a reasonable request, doesn't that? I mean, that's what we all do when a family member dies. We pay our respects. We show honor. We mourn. My family and I spent nine years as missionaries in Thailand, and, and in those nine years, I had a grandmother and an aunt that passed away. Now, I love my grandmother, and I love my aunt. Did I want to be at their funerals? Of course I did. But Christ had, had placed me in Thailand for a reason, and I wasn't able to mourn the way I wanted you see, I had to count the cost before I went. Was Jesus going to be my top priority, or was it going to be something else? Now, Jesus' response to this disciple, it seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? Follow me and let the dead bear their own dead. It's kind of hard not to take offense. It's because it is offensive. You see, what, what Jesus was doing is he, he was putting a fork in this man's road. This, this disciple had to quickly figure out what he valued most. Christ was going. He was heading to that boat that very night to cross the sea. And so this man had to choose. Was he going to get on that boat or not? That same choice is before each and every one of you. There are sacrifices that you must make in order to be a disciple. You can't hold allegiances to two masters. What is it that is holding you back? What takes prominence over being a disciple? Is it your work? Is it your family? How about that sport that you play? Maybe it's a hobby that, that eats up all of your time, leaving you no room to get on the boat. But perhaps it's something deeper. It could be that, that fear of lo losing the, the comforts in life, losing friends, losing your reputation as you take a stand for Christ. The, the, the problem with the, the, with the church in the West is that we think we can have it both ways. We want all the benefits that Christ has to offer without the hardships. The, the first man, that teacher of the law, saw all the miracles and the, and the large crowds and wanted to jump on board. He was hasty. He wanted the gifts of the kingdom without realizing how they were brought about. What he didn't understand was that, was that this king wasn't going to live like one, and neither would his disciples. He needed to count the costs. 
The second man, well, he was hesitant. He wasn't sure where his loyalties lie. Jesus was getting on that boat, but this man couldn't let go of his family. Again, he needed to decide, is Jesus worth it or not? Who was more valuable to him, his father or his Lord? Maybe you are here today and you are unsure whether you want to follow this Jesus. For the longest time, you, 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 you thought you could have it both ways. But as you're discovering who this Christ is, who he truly is, you've come to the realization that there is a cost to following him. That what Jesus really wants from you is a life of sacrifice. Are you willing to take up your cross and follow him? But perhaps you have been traveling this road for some time. You have faced hardship and pain as you follow your Lord. And because of this, you feel discouraged. Just remember that, that your reward is not in money or in comfort or in success in this life. Your reward is Christ himself. Dear friends, the, 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 the true blessing that God has to offer you is not the healing. It's not all the miracles. And it's not, even, it's not even eternal life. These things are just a means to an end. The true blessing is Jesus. The reward is being in Christ's presence. And if it is not Him who brings you joy, if you are looking to these lesser things, then you have yet to understand what the kingdom of heaven is all about. Jesus died for your sins first and foremost so that you could be with him. You see, a, a, a false disciple is like a, a little boy who only wants to play with his friends because of the toys that he has. A, a true disciple follows after Jesus and not after his things. A true disciple has their focus upon Christ. Jesus said, follow me. And he's asking that same question today. Will you follow me? Let us pray. Father, we confess to you that too often we... We want to follow your son for the wrong reasons. We want the food at his table and not him. And then there are times when our loyalties are split. We put other things ahead of, ahead of Christ. Help us to repent of these things. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may become true disciples. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.